Well, let's, let's go ahead and get started. Father God, Lord, we thank you for uh, this text that we will be in tonight. Lord, we thank you um, that your word paints such a beautiful picture. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we walk through Genesis 18 and 19, Lord, that we will walk away uh, magnifying you and glorifying you more than ever before. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we talked about the difference between the angel of the Lord and an angel of the Lord, and we were able to, I think, successfully prove through the Bible that the angel of the Lord is God himself. In fact, we saw last week in several stories where the inspired writer would shift between saying the angel of the Lord did this, the Lord God did that, and it's referring to the same person. And so tonight, we're going to look at a specific text in Genesis 18 and 19 where we see the angel of the Lord and some angels. Now we know uh, that it was the Lord because in Genesis 18 we read, uh, in verses 1 through three, 3, and the Lord appeared to him, Abram, by the oaks of Marmory as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to sit down on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring again to Abraham who was promised. So here once again, we have the story saying that there were three men. And then the, the, the inspired author refers to one of those men as the Lord. Now, we know that the other two were angels, even though they appeared as men to Abraham. Because in Genesis 19, continuing the story... The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So there are two angels, and one of these men are the God, Lord God. So that's the three men, which answers the question that was posed, do angels sometimes come in the appearance of men? Ta-da! I told you the answer was coming. So here we see when Abram looks up from his tent... He sees what to him just looked like three guys coming up toward him. The person who's telling us this story, who again is being inspired by God, tells us that two of those people are angels and one of them is the Lord. Now, if one of them is the Lord and Abraham sees him, we should know from last week what the identity of that person was. Now remember, in John chapter 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. 
There's nothing to see of God the Father. So whenever there's a physical manifestation of God, we know from last week that that is in fact a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate view of Jesus. So this is Jesus who's walking there with these two angels. In John 14, remember, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak by my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus here is saying, I and the Father are one, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if God is a spirit, so what we established last week was, is every time God has a physical form, for example, when Moses is allowed to see God's hind parts, and God puts him in the cleft of the rock and puts his hand over the rock and walks past him, that that's a Christophany, that's Jesus. Someone else pointed out the story of that between where the Shekinah glory of God came down, that God stood between and led them. If that was a visible, seeable, touchable representation of God, then that was Jesus that was leading the children of Israel in in the wilderness. And so here in this case, when we see these three people come up, we see that two of them are, in fact, angels, and one of them is Jesus. So, this is really the first time that we've come across just straight up called angels. Okay, so we've talked about seraphim, cherubim, we've talked about the angel of the Lord, and so now we actually get just angels, an angel of the Lord. So I want us to look a little bit at what that word angel means. In Hebrew, it's malach. And it's from a word that means to send someone as a deputy. So if a king were to send someone to represent him, that person would be the same word that we would say an angel. Um, So in Job 1.14, just Job sends somebody as his representative. That person is referred to as a malach, is referred to the same word that angels are talked about. In 1 Samuel 16.19, we have a king that is sent. But most often, and sometimes in the Bible, when it says the malach uh, of the Lord, that it's just someone that God has sent, um, a, a prophet, a, 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 an ambassador for God. Most of the time, though, that is an angel. So we see in their very name that the first thing that we see about angels is that they are sent from God. That they come from God. Just as we have established, angels are created. They have intelligence. They have um, the ability to make moral decisions. And so God sends them for a task. The other thing that we see in their name, the name that the, the, the inspired writer chose to use for them, is that one of their primary purposes is messenger. That they deliver a message or information from God. And so here with these angels, they came, and if we walk all the way through Genesis 18, we see that the, the, the two angels and, and Yahweh come up. They ask where Sarah is. He says that she's in the tent, and he says, I'm going to uh, return to you about this time next year, and Sarah is going to have a son. 
I'm, I'm reading out of verse 10. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of, the, of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So Sarah laughed. The, the, the Lord, uh, and notice in verse 13 that third person is referred to, and whenever you come across this in your Bible, that it's uppercase L, uppercase O, uppercase R, uppercase D for the Lord, the Hebrew word that's being used there is Yahweh, which is the proper name for God. That's his name. It's like, my name is Tom, Frank, David, Pete. The, God's proper name is Yahweh. Um, the, whenever you see in your Bible it's capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d, usually the word L is being used, which is just a generic term for God. False gods are also referred to as L. Uh, we, we all have remember the, the song a few years ago, El Shaddai, El Konkono Adonai, where, where El is just a description for God. And so here in verse 13, it, the, the, again, the inspired writer is saying, the Lord Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So um, Isaac's name is Chuckles or Giggles because Sarah laughed when she was told that she was going to have a baby. As Jesus said a good 4,000 years later, is anything impossible with God? And so um, just for, your, for future theology, uh, there was a discussion here where Abram says... Uh, God has a conversation just before chapter 18 and chapter 17, 15 through 26, where Abram asked God if Ishmael could be his, uh, the chosen child, and God says, no, you're going to have a child. He's the child of promise. That child is, will be the child of promise, which has all, that makes when God tells Abram to, to Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him, that would seem to Abraham, I'm sure, like contradictory information. God had already said that that baby's going to be the chosen child, which is why in the book of Hebrews, Paul lets us, gives us a little insight into what Abraham was thinking. He thought that God was just going to raise Isaac from the dead. He's like, well, God's already told me that he's going to be the child of promise, so he acted in faith. And just like we talked about last week, the, 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 it's the faith of Abraham that's counted as righteousness, not his actions. So, in chapter 18 here, um, now we have a situation where the men, uh, they came for two reasons. One was to let them know that Isaac was going to be born in the next year. The other purpose was they were going to destroy Sodom. The text goes on in verse 22. So the men turned from there, the text that we read um, and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So Abraham and the man that was the Lord, again, a Christophany, are standing together. The two men who are angels walk away, walking toward Sodom. And then God and Abraham have this argument about uh, whether or not it would be fair to kill Sodom if 50, and then 
40 and then 30 and on down, righteous people could be found. And I, I, I will say, and again, this is absolutely for free just because we're in the text. If Lot had just won his family to the Lord, there would have been enough people to spare Sodom. So, um, Sodom is going to be destroyed. And so we pick up in 19, and again, here we see in 19.1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, in lowercase, it's not, that is not a, a religious term, it's just my... And I wish there was another word in English that we could use. In Spanish, there's jefe, um, there, that just means boss man, my, the person that can command me. And that's the, what, what he's saying here. He says... Um, no, we will spend the night in the town square, and he pressed them strongly. Now, <clears throat> just to let you know, that is just Near Eastern culture at work. The same thing happens today. I had happened to me at least 50 times while we lived in Turkey. This would happen. I would walk into a small uh, square with maybe three or four college students, uh, and we, we would, they would say, what are you doing here? And I would say, well, we're here. Uh, these guys are doing cultural tourism, and we just want to, to learn about your town. And this is off the beaten path. They want to go to some place that's, that's not touristy. And so could you show us your village? And we would usually have a crowd of people that would take us around and say, here's the mosque, here's the, the chai shop, the tea shop. Here's, and all the old men in, in, in every one of those villages all sit around outside and they, they drink tea all day and they play a game called OK, which is kind of like gin rummy, but you play it with dominoes instead of with cards and, and talk about and gossip and, and just do what people all around the world do all the time. And they would invite us as guests to, to come with them. They would give us free food. Your money's no good here. We're, you know, they would get food from the restaurant and give it to us. And then eventually the conversation would come to, where are you guys sleeping tonight? And invariably, without exception, we would either say, well, our plan was we're going to go just outside the village and set up our tents. If it was, we were very far away, but if we were anywhere near a, a bed and breakfast kind of place, in Turkish that's called a pension. We're going to stay in the pension. No, you are not. You're coming to, and the person who was, was controlling the conversation, you're coming to my house tonight. And they would give us the best beds in the house. They would feed us. Uh, they would impoverish themselves to make sure that we ate a feast. Um, and I always told Americans when they came that um, I don't care what is put in front of you. I don't care if it's raw cat. If it's put in front of you, eat it. Because... These people are going to be hungry for the next few days because they're feeding you. And the rudest thing you can say in any culture other than America is, oh, I don't really like that. I, and I, so I had this little speech. Suck it up, buttercup. I really don't care what you like. Whatever they put in front of you, eat it. If they put tea in front of you, drink it. But I don't like tea. I don't care. Drink the tea. Because if you don't drink the tea, I'm going to pull you outside of the room and pour it down your throat. Um, in fact, I've drank so much tea in people's homes before that I'd lay down at night and my eyeballs bouncing in my head from all the caffeine. In Kurdish culture, if, uh, in Turkish culture, if you're done and you can't drink any more tea, you put the little spoon that you get on top of the cup, and that's the polite way of saying, I'm full, thank you so very much. In Kurdish culture, they just knock that thing off and pour some more tea. Here you go, big and drink up. And so... Um, this is not, I've read, as I was reading commentaries on this, a lot of people really wanted to make something out of Lot, begging them to come to his house. That's just culture. And it's interesting to me that I found 
uh, that that's the culture as it is in, in Near Eastern culture. That was the way the culture was in South America. That's the way the culture was in Nepal. And from what I've been told, that's the way the culture was in America until about 1950. That that idea of hospitality, that if a guest has come to your town, you're going to, to roll out the carpet for them. So, that's what happened here. So, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And they, they're not asking for their business cards. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. He offers his daughters, uh, do nothing to these men. Um, And again, we're looking at this to see what the angels do. The the men who came said, stand back. These fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than we will with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. There's literally a riot. The entire village is coming, pushing in the door. Um, I'm sure that Lot is horrified here. He's already offered his daughters up as opposed to these men. And the men reached out their hand. Now this is the angels. Reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And, and they, the angels, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. And so they wore themselves out groping for the door. I don't know which is more shocking to me, that the men were blinded by the angels or the fact that these perverse, wicked men, even after being blinded, are still struggling to get in the door. Both of those scenarios are shocking to me. But here, one of the things we can take away from this. So we answered the question, do angels appear sometimes as men? Yes, obviously. Do they have supernatural powers when in the form of a man? I, I have heard and have read there's, there's some, as we talked about when we first started this series, that there's a, a, a bunch of wackadoo books out there about angels. Um, I, I had I read one where the guy was saying, that when an angel takes human form, they're, they're helpless. That's why God told us to, to, you know, to feed them so that uh, you may you know, take care of them in case you're, you're, you're caring for an angel unawares. Well, we see in this story that that's not accurate, that they still had supernatural powers, even in the form of man. They said, boom, and everybody's blind. So... We see that as the morning dawns, skipping down to verse 15, the angels urge Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment. And so what happens is, is the angels tell Lot, Get out of this town. Go away. They're warning him. Lot uh, is begging that they can go to a particular town called Zoar um, because um, he doesn't want to be out in the wilderness where he could starve to death. Uh, or where there wouldn't be any water. Um, but, uh, and they agree that you can, that says in verse 21, he said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Now remember, when we first defined angels, we said that their purpose is to, to serve those who are the redeemed. Look at what they're saying. We can do nothing till you arrive there. So, they go to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now, 
The angels, as we read verses 12 through, make it clear that they're the ones who are responsible for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. They're the ones who are going to be doing the actual work of destruction. That they're the ones who are going to be calling down the fire and brimstone. In fact, when they tell Lot, we can't do our job until you get to Zoar, so hurry. Get it. So that tells us that those angels, again, are placed, even though they're sent from God, are placed at the service of Lot because he's one of God's chosen. I can't do anything until you get safe, so go. And then God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities in the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so in this particular story of angels, we see quite a bit. A lot of the groundwork that we laid is now fleshed out. We see that they take the form of a man. We see that they still have supernatural powers. We see that even here that they are working in the service of those who are called by God. That it, in that last verse that we read, it's because of Abraham that those angels were waiting for Lot and his family to get to Zoar. So, I'm sorry? Yes, they ate with, back in chapter 18, uh, they ate with uh, Abraham and, uh, and, and Sarah. They ate some, some f- food. So, there you go. There's another thing that I didn't bring out. They ate uh, cakes made from, so if I'm an angel, that's what I want. uh, Chapter 18, verse 6, they ate cake and a calf tender and young and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. So they had um, beef, they had steak and cake and and some buttermilk. So, um, yes, it was a good meal. We could have a, a special service and have angel food. And have cake and steak and iron. Chad, do you remember iron? So when they're saying we drank, cur- they drank curds. That's exactly what it is. Uh, iron is a, a curdled milk that's actually fermented so that it kills any back or, or the bad bacteria in it. And it's it tastes like salted buttermilk, maybe a little bit thicker. Um, once you develop a taste for iron, it's actually really good. Wouldn't you agree, Chad? 